Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. And here we are. This is the third of our three-part recap, because we are just real recap pros around here, uh, leading into season four, which is coming out in just a few short weeks. Yeah, we're so recap that we recap our recaps. This is a very meta episode for us. We we will later recap this recap of a recap just for posterity. Today we're looking at season three. What's interesting about this show is I actually looked up viewership numbers because it seemed to me that season two was a lot less popular than either season one or three. But if you look at it, actually the average viewership in season one was 1.39 million people per episode. In season two, that drops to 0.74 million. And actually, in season three, it drops even further now to 0.53 million. We were talking about this a bit um, off air, and I think that part of it is that the story is becoming a lot less accessible as time goes on. They really introduce a lot of, um, I was calling it like David Lynch type scenes, like a lot of Twin Peaks style surrealism, uh, some kind of science fiction influence, which I feel like um, isn't particularly welcome in a show that so far has been renowned for its technical accuracy. So I can see why the viewership might drop off a little bit as it gets into season three. I also wonder if that might just be because like um, maybe shows naturally have like a downward trajectory over time as the people who aren't like the more dedicated fans get weeded out. I must say, though, this show has, I think, a, a smart and committed fandom. I've always whenever I look at the subreddit or pay attention to people's discussions on Twitter, I'm really impressed at the way people think about the show and the things they pick up that we don't even always necessarily pick up so I don't know I think those hardcore fans will always be there I mean people are so excited for season four I'll be curious to see if the numbers kind of swing back up and I think one of the one of the factors that I think goes some ways to making it more accessible might be the introduction of the character of Irving and Bobby Cannavale oh he's great and people are probably um, familiar with the actor already because he's in so many different things. He's in so many things. Like, this guy works all the time. The first time I'd ever seen him, he played, I was just saying uh, off tape, um, someone's, I think, the scummy boyfriend of an heiress in an episode of Law & Order. Um, you know, he's come a long way since those days. He's also in The Horror of Dolores Roach, which is a super dark, creepy, anti-gentrification podcast. If you haven't heard that one yet, uh, it is a drama. Um, that's a lot of fun. Um, he's also in Homecoming, of course, which we did an episode about. Yeah, yeah. I really like that show. If anyone does want to write the novel Beach Towel with me, I'm dying to read it. Um, I just think he is a great character, a really fun character, and he gets introduced uh, right at the top of season three. Yeah, another thing is that we get our first look into the actual Washington Township plant. And it looks like something that people have um, related to a particle uh, accelerator, like the one that you might see at the Large Hadron Collider. So this is a bit of a hint that the plants might not just be about uh, producing power. I think if they hadn't given us the scene with the tour of the plant... They could have almost let go of the story, but I think by making it real and showing it to us, I think in season four, at least personally for me to get closure on it, I'm going to need to find out why that was so important. Even if it was just a ruse or a distraction from something else, I've got to know a little bit more about this thing. 
I know that we feel that way, but I still don't think that we're actually going to figure it out. I think that like it probably it's just something that they're using as a plot device. Um, another thing that I've been thinking about there is how, for one, like the Washington Township plants is a, a main motivating factor for Elliot, Darlene, and for White Rose, all for their own reasons. And White Rose has um, related it to Angela with this weird kind of mystical time traveling resurrection type thing and um it's not really clear if that's something that white rose is just using to manipulate angela or if that's something that they're actually trying to pursue for themselves because it seems like as time goes on the concept of like quantum immortality or whatever crap they're trying to dig into is actually more integral to the white rose character than anybody else and it's not really something that's going to be going away anytime soon Angela is really fully immersed in that role now as uh, sort of attaché to White Rose and as a handler. And when Elliot wakes up in recovery after having been shot by Tyrell, Angela is the person who's taking care of him. He also thinks at this point that stage two has been carried out, but we know that's not the case. Um, one, uh, one scene that always sticks out to me here, because I think it's well done, is where the Dark Army picks up Darlene and Elliot at uh, a DEF CON party. I think that's where they are. Oh, yeah, that's great. Because in this world, um, the power is not reliable ever since the 5-9 hack. So that's one of the only places where they could find an internet connection. Um, I think Irving connects to them because they bring him to his vehicle and there's an FBI vehicle in the same street. So their choices are pretty limited. They can go with the feds or they can go with Irving and that's what they do. Uh, Elliot's got a brand new job. Oh, yeah, he gets a job at E Corp with Angela's help. Right. So, I mean, it's quite fascinating um, what the characters will do to try to further um, their goals here. So we see him sort of in his transition. He's trying to work with them on the backups. So into episode two. So this is where we do get this sort of shocking moment in the Joanna storyline. Oh, yeah. And you know how I was saying that this um, scene kind of has some comparisons to Gideon's death? Um, in that episode, Gideon was kind of cycled out so that Dom could be cycled in. It was kind of an unceremonious and really abrupt end to Gideon's character. That was also the second episode of the season, and this is the second episode where they do a similar thing to Joanna. Everything here is getting more tense and escalating. So this is the episode two where Mr. Robot gets pretty scary with Darlene, physically confronting her uh, when she's over at the apartment. Um, Mr. Robot also talks to Krista. Maybe it's just Mr. Robot gets more aggressive uh, in mm-hmm. this particular episode. Now, we thought previously that stage two was only going to be okayed by the Dark Army if Philip Price and Ecorp got out of line. But we learn here that White Rose is going to okay it, basically just to punish him. So that's going to go ahead... One piece I should connect back to when I say that Mr. Robot got pretty aggressive with Darlene, Elliot finds that Darlene had been bugging him. So she's been transmitting information from him to the FBI, who she's been working at, and that's when he turns up at her safe house apartment. Right, because Darlene is in pretty deep trouble ever since she was captured by Dom and shown the um, like map of information that deconstructs all the relationships between the F-Society people. So she knows that she doesn't really have any way out of this and that cooperating with the FBI is the best way for them to go forward. Because I believe she has an immunity deal for herself and for Elliot, if I'm not wrong. Looking at episode three, uh, my notes just say, 
Irving takes Tyrell to the literal woodshed. <laughs> and um, I guess they spend a bit of time there from that point. Yeah, there's a lot of like chopping wood imagery. I don't. I guess that's just to show how banal life is and how rural <laughs> this yeah. setting. Um, Tyrell, as I think I understand, is working on stage two. Yeah, it seems like it. What did you think of the one uh, interview scene when he first gets there? Oh, right, with Wallace Shawn. Yeah. So it's interesting to me, like, the trigger there seems to be there's this whistling kettle in the background the whole time. Um, and maybe one or both of them are using cocaine. I can't remember how the scene goes. <laughs> Just the interviewer. But Just it's so the funny. interviewer. But it seems, I mean, Tyrell is pretty battered and broken at this point. I think what's interesting to me is... I still, even having watched all the episodes, don't totally understand why his devotion and dedication to Elliot is so complete. Yeah, me either, because at this point it almost seems uh, fanatical. It truly does. Like when he talks about we were supposed to be gods together and uses this really elevated language that's sort of out of contact with material reality. I kind of wonder what's going on for Tyrell there. Uh, one thing I like about this episode is because I get so caught up in Tyrell's ambition that I forget that he's also supposed to be kind of a great hacker in his own way. So we get to see him uh, on the tools, if you will. Yeah, there actually was one scene in um, the first season when he's looking at um, the infected server at Allsafe with his headphones on listening to classical music. He uses like um, the command line there in a way that even I thought was pretty interesting. Because um, I'm not really going to go into detail about it here, but it just goes to show you that he's actually like really skilled at what he does. He does. Um, I don't know if he gets fed up with being um, held captive or, or whatever, but he does make a break for it. And I just think this is kind of a wonderful scene to watch when you kind of see him make a play for his freedom and just take off through the woods not knowing what's going to happen. But we know what happens. <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> He gets picked up by some local cop. And this is where producer Dave uh, gets validation for his theory because the person who has to come out and do the cleanup job is Santiago. And so this is where we become aware that he's the guy inside the FBI because he comes out and he kills the cop um, and takes Tyrell back. I think this is probably my favorite episode of the season. I just like it for... Um, I like fish-out-of-water scenarios where we see... Tyrell really out of sorts um, and I like again that further evolution of his character if we move on to episode four um, Elliot has a suspicion that Mr. Robot is doing things he's not aware of and so he asks Darlene to hang out at Shayla's still unoccupied apartment how on earth do you have an unoccupied apartment in New York but anyway whatever <laughs> you uh, could probably make four thousand dollars in an Airbnb and nothing maybe they're Airbnb so <laughs> on a ninth of the Airbnb is vacant Darlene hangs out and she follows Mr. Robot at night and that's where she sees him talking to Angela in an alley somewhere so she's beginning to connect that Angela maybe does not have as pure motives as they think she might, and that Mr. Robot is in some way collaborating with her. Elliot's career at E-Corp doesn't last long. I think uh, Price also fires him, although I think in a less unceremonious way than he turfs Tyrell. You know, I don't think guys that high up actually have to fire people. I think there's no. some like <laughs> mid-level HR woman who has to do that job, you know? But he maybe takes particular delight in it. I don't know. Yeah, I remember that now, and it was actually Angela who asked him to be fired. So this is one of those other cases where Price is kind of um, 
being nice to Angela for reasons that you might not understand just yet, because she's calling a favor from him to fire somebody, and he uh, obliges. Exactly. A guy that pretty well no one can call a favor from. So she gets him fired. Now, is next episode the one-shot episode? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Well, I can tell you that it's definitely my favorite episode this season, um, in part because the very innovative cinematography, like you were saying, it is um, presents it as a one-shot episode, although it does have some cuts in it. Um, but watching it go down, it has um, a very different feel to it than the other episodes because all of the shots are continuous. Like uh, Things kind of take a little longer to happen because there aren't so many jumps around from place to place. Um, and yeah, uh, why don't you speak a bit about it? So I think less happens in this episode than in other episodes, because I really think this is about the visuals and this is about them trying to give you the experience of being in that riot when the protesters get inside the e-court building. Um, a couple of important points here. Um, this is where Darlene reveals to Elliot that she's been working with the FBI and also where Elliot confronts Angela about working with Mr. Robot. So there's a lot going on for Elliot. There's a lot at stake um, because both of his relationships with Darlene and Angela are kind of destabilized by the information he gets. Uh, also, second appearance by Hamburger Man. Hamburger <laughs> Man, I love you. Um, I still am not clear. He hands Angela a bag from Red Wheelbarrow, and I still don't think I'm clear on what's inside it or why there seems to be an emotional impact when she looks in the bag. I withhold that that's like a Pulp Fiction reference, and it's like the glowing briefcase. Have you seen that? Can you remind me? Well, it's kind of like um, a term that I used in the last episode when I was talking about the Washington Township plants, about how um, it's a MacGuffin, which is just like an empty plot device that um, you can refer to that moves the story along, but you don't really need to go into detail about what it actually is. So kind of like I felt that way about the Washington Township plant, this thing is kind of similar or at least attached to that because um it's something from white rose that is um kind of invoking this very emotional response in angela and you can see the effects that it has and you can see how it motivates her but we don't find out what it is and i really don't think we're ever going to i don't think so either because i don't think we see angela again for the whole next episode uh, because that one it kind of focuses on tyrell so tyrell is pretending to be held captive in the back of the red wheelbarrow so he's probably getting very tired of the food, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, and this is where we get, um, I have been told, because I don't watch movies, uh, a very Silence of the Lambs scene where Dom um, is exploring into the back of the restaurant. Oh, totally. I think I know what you mean with like the night vision scene. Yeah, it's... I don't know the movie, but I think because of, there have been parallels drawn between her and is it Clarice Starling, who's the yeah. detective in that, both Jersey Girls. Um, you know, it's it's sort of interesting that way. If you haven't seen the movie, you really need to. It's my favorite, Trisha. I feel like it's too frightening for me. It's more of a thriller than anything violent, but some of its commentary on um, uh, gender identity is a little outdated, you could say, because the villain is like a trans person or cross-dresser oh interesting oh maybe i will have to watch it after all in the morning in the morning <laughs> um we do get a scene where i don't know part of me i think maybe has trouble at least in reviewing it taking it seriously in a way and that's where mr robot and elliot are battling for physical control of their body in the basement when they're trying to 
stop stage two. Oh, is this when he's just like throwing himself down the stairs and stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it's like Rami Malek, we kind of know, especially from Bohemian Rhapsody, is an incredible physical actor. And in this role, he's usually very restrained. So like this is some like real commitment to the bit on his part. <laughs> but it is, I don't know, part of it's kind of over the top when I watch it again. Yeah, I agree. Tyrell is arrested. Here, actually, I have a question for you. So Tyrell makes a break. And this is obviously staged because he's pretending that he was handcuffed to the bed. He makes a break out of the back of the restaurant. And when they arrest him, he's screaming, you've got to stop the attack. You've got to stop the attack. And so we know because, you know, we've seen all the episodes. They're talking about stage two and the 71 buildings that blow up with all their occupants inside them. But I've got to ask, do you think... Is he snitching on the Dark Army plot or is that calculated? Is that was that what he was scripted to do to because that rehabilitates his total image. He's gone from the most wanted man in America to, um, you know, potentially an informer, potentially someone who could turn on these evil people. That's a great question. I think that it's um, intentional. And it might have been something actually that the Dark Army offered him specifically because they knew that it would have that effect of uh, character rehabilitation. And it'll be a way for him to like um, avoid the consequences that would normally be coming his way. Because like we saw in the season two episode with the um, Minds map, they all think that Tyrell is the ringleader right now. It's interesting because in just a couple of episodes, we're going to see that... Um... It doesn't spare him from Santiago's wrath. And we know Santiago's playing both sides. Yeah, that's kind of why I thought that he wasn't going to try and go off script because he knows that Dark Army has people everywhere. They have a lot of power over him in this situation. So I guess the real emotional impact of this episode is that stage two, which we're all a little fuzzy on, because there's been some work. Elliot's trying to, what is he trying to do? Consolidate the backups or move the backups basically to eliminate the need to take out the individual facilities. And I don't think he ever banks on the buildings being physically destroyed. I think he always thought it was about destroying data. And so the shocking pieces, you know, we see all the news reports about all thousands of people dying in these explosions. And that's what in the next episode, this causes Angela to really lose total contact with reality. Cause there's this sort of very sad scene where she's watching the news footage forward and then she'll rewind it. And Darlene asks her what she's doing. Darlene, I don't know if she's the nurse you want, you know? <laughs> Darlene is taking care of Angela. And Angela's saying things like, look, they're all okay again. Everything's okay. Even if more people die, it's all okay. And Angela has just lost it. And Darlene, I think she tries to hold it in, but she's really aware that Angela doesn't have a sense of the seriousness of the situation. Um, I have a note here that says it will soon make sense why Price cares so much about Angela. Um, we do get some insight. Uh, Zhang will move their plant to the Congo. That's been secured. So what that means for the story, I don't know, because they seem to focus on it and then take the focus off. And again, you don't think we're going to get satisfaction on that point. So I guess we will have to. We should have a little wager. I think that they will probably talk a bit more about the Congo and like its role as a, a chess piece in their whole grand plan. We had also speculated that that might be because of its um, importance for manufacturing electronics because they have um, a wealth of uh, like rare earth metals. Um, so there's cobalts, I think. Um so that's something that they could um, 
like that could be very valuable to white race but what i meant was that probably we won't get a better understanding of like what they're actually trying to do with the congo like the, they'll definitely probably take it over but you know what i'd love to see do you think there's like a congo lease equivalent of the dark army or f society that might just be the dark army <laughs> yeah maybe they're global now they've got global <laughs> membership i was just thinking wouldn't it be interesting if they also had a powerful hacker force but you know what just yeah. speculating just speculating um Santiago tells Tyrell in a pretty brutal way that his wife's dead and that his child is shoveled off into foster care somewhere. And Tyrell, I don't know, it's very fragile right now. We'd already seen that he had lost his job, which was a big part of his um, personal identity. And now having lost his family, he doesn't really have anything left uh, going on in his life. This is a horrible episode because this is also where, uh, so Trenton and Mobley had been picked up by Leon he takes them out to the desert and there's kind of an actually almost comical scene where Trenton tries to drive the car away and save them and like gets nowhere and destroys the car. <laughs> but they actually set them up. The goal is to make F Society look like it has roots in Iran. Um, the goal is to make it look like the two of them were planning to interfere with, I think, air traffic control or yeah. something. Um, and at the end, they're both forced to um, to kill themselves. So it's sort of a sad, dark end for two characters I think we all really like a lot. Yeah, I, I, I did really like them. And um, this, where Trenton and Mobley are kind of framed for the um, uh, stage two attack, at the same time that um, Tyrell is kind of absolved of it because he's trying to confess and stop the attack, that has the effect of pinning it all on people who can no longer defend themselves. Now that's white male privilege for you. <laughs> that's what that is right there. The next episode, I think this is a really emotional episode for people and i think it's a fan favorite this is where elliot goes back to trenton and mobley's families essentially to try to say some kind words to them um in their time of loss and he's intending to do this just prior to ending his own life so that's that's sort of the setup for the episode and we learn that mobley's brother um has kind of bought into the narrative about him yeah the Dark Army kind of set it up in a way that it would give people a really negative impression of Jensen and Mobley. Um, we see that Mobley's brother is a, a real <laughs> jerk about it. Trenton's brother, um, that character I really like. And th this episode starts off really sad because of the concepts about um, uh, Elliot having been an unwilling participant in the murder of all of these people, the psychological effects that it has on him. And it really only gets more sad from there because of um, the dialogue, which is really well written. It really um, invokes some feelings in you when you're listening to it. I think it's nice, too, because we see the Dark Armies try to play into narratives about Islamophobia. And even Mobley's own brother calls him a terrorist. I'm not holding a funeral for a terrorist. And so I think this episode goes some way to say, you know, there are people out there who rebut that narrative um you know if we'll say you know no like i i knew your son or daughter as a person and the framing of this is not a fair thing to do to them so it's all um it's all really beautifully done um and then elliot goes to angela once he decides that he's gonna live to try to i think I think they give each other some strength he talks about this game that used to play this wishing game when they were kids 
Um, and I think that goes some way to pulling both of them out of a very dark and hopeless place. He also, I forgot he'd thrown out the Mr. Robot jacket at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, symbolically, and then he symbolically recovered it. And by recovery, we mean pull it out of a trash can and put it back on, <laughs> I think. I think. This has smelled bad. It must have smelled pretty bad. Like, I can't imagine, like, laundromats are really operating normally. And if that thing is dry clean only, it would be a nightmare. <laughs> what? A, is there still dry cleaning in a post-5-9 world? Yeah, who knows? Um, so remember back to Trenton Mobley in the desert. Uh, Trenton has set up a dead man switch with an email. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, um, in the post credit scene for season two, when we had last seen Trenton and Mobley, they were talking about the possibility of undoing the hack. Um, I want to go back to the very first season a second for two different points, one of which is um, to touch on something we talked about a second ago, about how they were um, playing up themes and fears um, regarding Islamophobia with these two characters. And we had previously noted when they were introduced that it was nice to see these characters be represented in a way that like doesn't make it seem like they're only there f for that specific purpose. And so I felt like it undermined that a little bit when it seemed like the only... Um, characters who like were representing like people wearing hijabs and so on and so forth ended up being painted as those terrorists in a really unfortunate way um but second to that another thing we had thought in the first season was that um it would be really unusual for uh, a hacker to encrypt the data and delete the recovery key which is what they did for five nine versus just deleting the data which um in addition to being much, much faster, it only takes like one operation instead of requiring a lot of CPU time to perform the encryption. It also removes the possibility of the encryption key being recovered. So that's what um, Shrenston and Mobley are targeting. They're trying to find the decryption key that will allow all of the data to be recovered and 5.9 to be undone. So Trenton had said... Um she had set up an email that would be sent to someone that she trusted if she didn't make it back to her computer, which, as we now know, she doesn't. And so in this episode, we learn that Elliot was that trusted person. So now he's been kind of tasked with this mission from Trenton to turn back the hack. Um, and we're going to see in episode nine that so we're where that information lives were on Romero's computers. Because remember, he always thought this might potentially go bad one day. And those are now in the possession of the FBI. Um, in episode nine, so this is the second last episode of the season, Tyrell finally does become CTO of that company. <laughs> Congrats. But it's not happy. I mean, I still take it. He does still take it. So he's advised by Price that it's he's a figurehead under his control and that it's essentially meaningless, but they really need to have someone in place. Because remember, Equine is basically global currency. And so Ecorp has got to look functional. And of course, Tyrell really has been restored to hero status, right, for trying to inform on stage two or so the media would have you believe. Um so Tyrell is CTO. The FBI has the keys to reverse 5-9. They also have Darlene. And so Darlene is working as a confidential human source. I think that CHS. And Elliot wants to try to get at those keys. And he wants to do it through Sentinel, which I guess is their secure network. Darlene suggests that she might have another way. And she doesn't tell him what. Um, but she's, um, she's trying a human 
uh, source. I think I used that term correctly. <laughs> yeah, well done. <laughs> she decides she's going to hack Dom. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So I actually liked this a lot because um, when Dom and Darlene are first introduced, it's obviously in a very adversarial situation with the um, FBI interrogation scene, the whole um, moth and flame scene. But um, I think that they, under any other circumstances, probably could have got along pretty well. Like, um, they are able to um, have, like, a functioning friendship in spite of the fact that they're also, um, like, investigating and interrogating each other. So what's sad about it, though, is that Dom is kind of shown as somebody who's um, uh, lonely and kind of, like, longing for a human connection. And it's sad to see that Darlene um, abuses that for her own purposes. I was trying to think about this because part of it is, I thought, why do I have sympathy for Dom that I don't have for Santiago or the other FBI agents? Because this seems to me, just in the emotional impact as a viewer, it seems way worse than what she did to Cisco. And I can't care at all about what she did to Xander Jones. But this to me seems to be the worst deception and the one... The one that makes me feel a bit differently about Darlene, although if I really think about it, this is what Darlene should do. Dom is not there to help Darlene's cause. No. So, I, yeah, I thought my feelings are complicated about it. Darlene is doing what Darlene should do, but it seems like such a terrible betrayal to me in some way because we, I at least have built up this empathy for the Dom character. Yeah. And it kind of goes to show you that um, some of the characters have some shades of gray to them because I really like Dom and I really like Darlene. And obviously the story can't work out well for both of them, but I find myself rooting for them both. Unless they change their motivations and maybe it can. Ooh. We'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm so naive and hopeful. Um, Irving and Leon fix a meeting with I just call him Grant Chang. That's the actor's name, not the character. Well, the character's name is also Grant, isn't it? It is, but the last name is not the same. So <laughs> Irving and Leon fix a meeting with Grant Chang and Elliot. Um, when they scan Elliot's laptop, I believe that also gets Elliot access to the Dark Army systems, which is going to prove very important when Elliot needs to pull a rabbit out of a hat in the last episode of the season, episode 10. So... Here, this is where Santiago can't hold it together anymore. So he tries to take Darlene out of the FBI building in a sort of sneaky way. Uh, Dom catches on pretty fast. So now he has to basically abduct both of them. So he's got them. They're driving out to, I called it the bugged barn. It's just a barn with a lot of surveillance <laughs> equipment in that's it. That's a good way to put it. And I think that's the first time when Santiago, they try to humanize him. Because I've hated this guy the whole time he's been on screen. And when he talks about how essentially he's in too deep and he's in a, he can't save himself or anyone he cares about without doing all these terrible things. It's kind of too little too late for me as far as Santiago's character goes. But especially knowing what happens to Dom afterward, you could imagine that he might have um, been coerced in some way himself. Well, and I think he must have been. Like, I imagine he was once a sincere agent and hopeful and all of those things, just like Dom. But when you see the way that she's then brought into the ranks of the Dark Army, I mean, I, I don't know how you could resist. She even says, just kill me right here. And they don't do it. So this is this is a bloodbath. This last like few scenes yeah. are just brutal. Irving um, proves himself a very capable axe man, I guess. Yeah. 
um, he kills Santiago, and then once he's dead, kills him some more, and then like kills him again a third <laughs> and a fourth time. And there's even like a bit of a comedic aspect to it because he's like shouting these things to uh, Dom while he's doing it. Yeah, like something about Wheel of Fortune. Like <laughs> yeah. it's really like bizarre. And I kind of appreciate though that they let the pressure off for a sec because yeah. this this episode is really heavy. Um, so the whole gang is here, right? Um, a bunch of dark army folks, Leon, um, Irving, Dom, Santiago, uh, rest in peace, I guess. Um, now, this is where Dom is sort of recruited to take his place. So whether she likes it or not, she's now a dark army operative. Um, basically, Elliot is able to save the day by offering the dark army a fix so he's already worked out the fix to their last issues moving the plant to the congo and he offers them that essentially in exchange for the lives of the people who are still in the barn and that's when leon kind of brings on the firepower like this guy is just always ready for action <laughs> leon's just great uh he takes out i don't know why he kills all the foot soldiers they're done um White Rose calls Grant, and following their conversation, Grant also takes his life. So there's very few people left standing. It's just Darlene, Elliot, Dom, and Leon, right? That's all. Everybody else is dead. Whoever comes upon this barn, I guess they'll clean it up, right? They got <laughs> clean up people in the Dark Army? Yeah. Um, Dom gives Elliot access to the FBI network, which is now part of her new role. Um, we got a couple other, uh, they really hit you hard at the end. So we also get this moment where Price reveals that he's Angela's father. Yeah, that was so like out of left field to me. And that kind of brings Angela back to earth. And she realizes now the part that she played, that she was complicit in some pretty terrible things. So I imagine there's going to be fallout from that in season four. There's been a lot of Twitter chatter about how Portia Doubleday hasn't been seen a lot in shots from set. Or things like that. So I think there's a lot of speculation that maybe her character dies or is kind of absent. So curious to see what will happen for Angela. The post credit scene is that we see that Vera's back in town. So I think what we kind of thought was like a minor villain. And now poised, I think, to become one of the more major villains of season four. So I already said I think my favorite episode is the Tyrell episode. Other, other perspectives? Mine was the one-shot one, obviously. I thought everybody would say that. <laughs> I liked the season finale. I thought season 10 was a great episode. Um, Santiago dies. Love it. I love episodes where people get, like, people I want dead on screen die. Right. I'm like, yes, great. Uh, Irving does it with such, yeah, such poise. <laughs> it's a very careful massacre. In my notes, I was like, uh, Elliot hacked himself out of a barn. <laughs> so that's... That's essentially what he does, because he does something to speed up the Congo, uh, to move the plant to the Congo. So that's like his favor for White Rose to get out of there. And I think this is also a testament of White Rose. I think she knew that was going to happen. So that's why she put everybody in that situation in the barn with Leon. Oh, yeah. And then kind of gave Leon the okay to, it's like, okay, now's the time, kills everybody, Grant kills himself, and everything's good to go to keep this plan moving forward. Yeah. Um, I thought price being angela's dad i still don't believe it i feel like there's something there that's just not quite right about it and i want to believe it it's too tidy almost like it sews it up almost too neatly for me yeah my speculation is that he is definitely taking advantage of a very vulnerable person and being fatherly towards her 
and always kind of being a little fatherly towards her so that when it, the time does come, because like he knows about the plan, he knows about her parents, right? So I feel like I feel like that something might come around with that. I could be wrong. I could, but I'm one for one with. Uh, yeah, you got to. Yeah, no, I was like, but you could be right because I agree. There's something off about it. I don't know if it like for me it feels convenient. But you're right. She's totally vulnerable. She obviously will believe anything anyone tells her. She wants to believe in others. So maybe that's the best play he could make. And especially if you look at it from the idea that he's been grooming her from the very beginning, right? Yeah. Well, I remember that um, there was that flashback scene with child Angela and her um, terminally ill mother where they discussed that they had like a benefactor donating to them. So if it is implying that that was white, sorry. so if it was implying that that was Price, then it's been going on for a long time. And I think that was the implication, although I guess that could mean, well, that's how we construe it now in light of what we know. But I mean, I think at the time that they said that, I thought the benefactor might have been White Rose. Oh, yeah, I could see that, too. So, I mean, I think what's nice, I hope we do get closure on some of these storylines and some of the missing background pieces that we have as we get into season four. Because I think, I mean, this is all about, you know, will fans feel fulfilled? Will they feel that the weight for the answers to some of these things, what you know, that the payoff is worth the wait. So I'm really, I'm dying to see new episodes. So the new season, I watched the trailer. These folks haven't. It seems to all be set at Christmas time. <laughs> and so I love New York at Christmas. I love Christmas. I love Mr. Robot. I just think this is going to be a delight. I am really looking forward to it. I wanted to talk about one last thing about that last episode. That shot with Vera is what made me realize that Vera is one of the best written characters in this show. Because you take him for just this dumb drug dealer. And then you realize that like, oh no, he is a very smart, capable villain. He is like... The way he gets Elliot to break him out of jail, the way he shows up at the end, comes straight to Darlene too, right? That's where he shows up. Uh, it's or is it? No, it's Elliot's apartment. It's Elliot's apartment. Yeah, he and shows I think Darlene at. is there. She's remember she's walking right. with someone down the street. Yeah, and it's it, he is such an evil man. That I feel like he's going to play a very good villainous foil to White Rose because White Rose is like a very elegant villain. She's very like precise and things. Whereas I think Vera would be more like hack and slash, like totally just absolutely brutal. And they have to deal with both of these people from either spectrum of like villainy. I like that because they're almost two sides of a coin where, you know how white Rose sort of positions this kind of metaphysical like element to the way she manipulates people. Vera is like some evil guy who listened to a couple of tool records because remember, he talks about the cosmos the and like traveler thing. Yeah, yeah, like I think you're right. He's like the sloppy, ill-financed version. <laughs> and I mean, I'm interested to see. You know, obviously they've resurrected that character for a reason, and we don't have too many pure heroes or villains in the show. So I mean, what he's gonna do, and what Elliot's gonna have to do in response. I mean, that could be some really great television. Yeah, I th I'm looking forward to season four. Same here. Well, thank you so much for listening to our recap of season three. You have been listening to Mr. Rewatch. We're recording today in Hamilton, Ontario. I'm Aaron. I'm Devlin. And I'm Dave. Bonsoir.